Seminary costs a lot, but it costs more than money. It takes time and energy, which, once it is spent, you cannot get back. Today, we're talking about transaction costs, opportunity costs, and how being aware of them can make you more productive on Surviving Seminary. Hello, guys. My name is Kevin Sutherland, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Stark. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about my community college experience a little bit. What? Um, when I went to uh, college for the first time, I met with the college advisors, and for the lack of clear calling uh, direction, which, go see that episode if you haven't checked it out, episode one. It's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah, I think it's better than okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's all right. So the advisor there wanted me to take some economics class because for them, the only calling that you could do with a religious studies degree, this was at a secular college, uh, by the way, um, was to be a pastor. So they're like, well, you'll need to know how to run a church. So we took, I took microeconomics and macroeconomics and I didn't think I was going to like it, but actually I had a great instructor and they made it really easy and I learned a lot. And so so after those economics classes, those concepts stuck with me, but I didn't think about them in terms of productivity until I ran across a blog uh, at matt.mite.net. That's Matt as in short for Matthew, dot might as in uh, your strength you or you might do something, dot net. And he is a professor of internal medicine and computer science at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. So he's not specifically towards seminary. Um, I don't know where his faith stance is or whatnot. And so he, we haven't really spoken with him or anything, but I just, for the sake of um, noting some of the sources for this and the inspiration behind it, I just wanted to say that's where we got it and there's some good stuff there and there's some stuff that as a seminarian may not be in your wheelhouse at all but we really got this idea of using that from that particular blog post so we're going to talk about some of the things i learned in there like transaction costs jason do you want to say what a transaction cost is yeah it's um kind of what it sounds like if you are making a transaction of some kind if you are either buying or selling something, we're talking in strictly economic terms here, it's the costs that you incur from making that transaction. It's what you end up having to spend in order to make happen what needs to happen. A standard example of this is when someone owns a store, someone comes in and pays with their credit card or their debit card, and that store owner has to pay a small percentage of uh, the transaction, the, the purchase amount as a fee to the credit card company or to the merchant processing um, system that runs that, uh, that card system. So that's why a lot of times when you go into a store that's a little smaller or privately owned and not a big one, you'll see a little sign that says if you want to make a credit card purchase, it has to be over a certain amount because they're trying to um, they're trying to recoup the cost of that fee by having the purchase that's made be actually worth it. 
Yeah, or they you might have also where they charge you a fee on top of it if you use your credit card. And all that is is they're trying to minimize that transaction cost to them by passing that along to you to pay, basically. So the other kind of cost that we were talking about is opportunity cost, which that is basically defined as the value of, let's say we're talking about a dollar and you're going to the gas station to buy a candy bar for a dollar. What is the most valuable thing you could do with that dollar that you're not actually doing? And that's what your opportunity cost is. So maybe you need a new set of tires and you're a dollar short. Well, then the opportunity cost of you getting that candy bar might be that you can't get tires now. I mean, obviously that probably a little bit silly but that well it's it's uh maybe but it actually is quite relevant to your experience uh you just had to get some tires right right but i suppose um that's an instance in which on the one side you have a short-term gain versus potentially like a like a bigger scale loss or something like that Mm -hmm. but maybe a more balanced example would be um the image of the kid in the candy store or the kid in the candy aisle who is looking at all these different choices and cannot make up his or her mind. Because if I get the chocolate bar, oh, but I see the other candy over here that I also really like. And if I get the chocolate bar, then I can't have that one. And then I think, well, maybe I'll get that one instead. But then I can't have the chocolate bar. And so um, just a very simplistic example where if you make one choice with your time, with your money, whatever, particularly with your money, if we're talking economics, you by definition cannot use that money to to take another opportunity that you might have made otherwise. Right. And so what does all that have to do with seminary? Um, one thing about transaction costs are if you think about it, everything that you do also tends to have a transaction cost. For example, we don't have a regular recording studio that we can leave our equipment at every single day. So whenever we're not podcasting, we have to pack this thing up and we have to take it home to Jason's house. And then we have to come back and set it up. And we just did something the last time we were here when we were talking about transaction costs that actually lowered our transaction costs by having different parts of our equipment already put together. That's right. Yeah. I, um, is a little thing, but I left the mic clip onto the mic stand and I didn't put it back in the box either that we got it in. A lot of times I'll put something back in the box, like, cause I want to preserve it and keep it protected and all this stuff. But I just thought, you know what? It's, it's one less step that I have to take in order for us to get set up. It was a tiny little one and I wish I had more ideas, but it was a good one to, um, reduce the amount of work we had to do to actually start recording there was one transaction, part of the transaction of getting here and getting recorded today, where I actually upped our transaction costs uh, mistakenly. So I inefficiently forgot to bring my computer that mm-hmm. we record to, and so I had to run back home and get it. Now, thankfully, we don't live too far away uh, from where we're recording right now. So it was like five minutes, and I zipped back home, got my computer, came back, and got it set up. But that was an increased transaction cost uh, in this case because I was inefficient in how I went about getting all of our stuff around to get here. Yeah, and so 
some transaction costs, you're just like, okay, we'll just do it. But at a certain point, the transaction costs might actually be too great for you to actually go ahead and do the thing. Like we're still recording today, but maybe if this was the 13th thing that had gone wrong today, we might just say, you know what, forget it. We'll record another day. But that, how do we take that knowledge that there's these transaction costs and make us more productive? So that's one question. And then I'm, I also want us to consider the question before we get into examples about the opportunity costs. So we talked about them in the economic sense, but what about the non-economic, um, a little bit more seminary relatable um, sense of how opportunity costs come into play? Right. So just like money, you only have a finite amount of money. You only have a finite amount of time. In fact, you know, with money, you can always probably earn more, but you're always, everybody on the planet has the same amount of time allotted to them. There's only 24 hours in the day. Uh, there's only 168 hours in the week and so on and so forth. So the idea of opportunity cost is making sure that what you're doing is the most productive, most valuable thing that you can be doing with your time right now. This really seems to get more so into the topic of scarcity and the fact that there, like you said, there's only so much time that we have in order to do what we need to do. But I think it's not just scarcity in time, but it's also scarcity in energy, where we really only have a finite amount of energy to spend on the different tasks that we have to accomplish. And also, um, as we go through the day or the week or whatever our time scale is, also um, willpower itself is a finite resource. Mm -hmm. um, that that's, a, that's another part of the scarcity question when it comes to opportunities that we take or don't take or the opportunities that we miss um, inversely. Yeah. And so one thing to think about with opportunity costs. So what are some of the opportunity costs in seminary? Well, obviously, you might need to work in order to fund your education. So work, there might be an opportunity cost of if you're working, you're not studying. If you're working, you're not spending time with your family and whatnot. And so it's valuing those things. And, you know, they're kind of, they can all be uh, really dynamic and fluid. And for example, if you do like I do and work late at night, there's not much of an opportunity cost for family because most of my family is asleep at that time. But there are other costs like I could have been reading at that point or whatnot. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Okay. So um, then as far as actual um, so we've talked about what transaction costs are and um, a little bit of what they mean outside of the economic sphere and more about what they mean as far as you and seminary is concerned. What we want to do is we want to decrease transaction costs. Mm -hmm. We want to keep them at a minimum so that what we do and what we accomplish comes with the least amount of, of negative, um, negative side effect. How do we do that? So I, a lot of it is being intentional and thinking about your process that you go through to do what you need to do. So if you need to read, then some of your transaction cost might be you need to go find a quiet place, which might entail gas or travel time. You might have to look for different formats for books. Uh, if you if you have a if if you have a situation which you're not going to be able to carry a physical book around with you, but say you have your phone with you then 
going and finding the right format for a book to increase your efficiency at reading. That'd be helpful. Yep. Um, or let's say you're writing a paper and you, you've got to wait for the computer to boot up. You've got to do all of those things. These are all little transaction costs. So figuring out a way to reduce those, maybe you make a cozy place to read at your house so that you're, if you're already there or you find wherever you're at, you find a place that you can do that without having to go as far, then you may have saved yourself some money and some time in that regard. And it sounds as if what you're saying is that it's going to take a little bit of time sometimes to really get to a place where you minimize your costs Mm -hmm. um, and the transaction costs to, to get what you need to get done. And that that in and of itself can be like a short-term transaction cost actually in itself. Because right. if you've got to exert that energy and time to to set yourself up and get your processes established, then in the short term, that actually is a transaction cost. And so that can be a, a reason why it's difficult to make those things happen. Because mm-hmm. it feels like if you're losing time, if you're losing energy... Um, and the immediate gains aren't um, the well. I guess I should back up and say, if you're not seeing immediate gains on it, then it can feel like, um, what you know? Why am I doing this? But the whole key is that sometimes, even though we have to incur short-term transaction costs, it's like we're making an investment in our time and in our efficiency and in our process in ways that are going to pay off later. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's that whole concept from economics as well about return on investment. Um, sometimes I've tried to work on things and make them more efficient and found that I just put completely wasted the time because things didn't work out the way I wanted. But taking a little bit of time and trying to get a little bit more intentional about what you're doing, is there a way you can cut a corner here without actually affecting the quality of your output on that is going to be a key driver in determining whether or not you should do something of this nature. But a lot of the times you just, you have a habit and you just go along with it and you don't think about it and you just go, this is the way it is. So, you know, an example we might talk about of decreasing your transaction cost might be, you know, if you're wanting to go to the gym, um, you might be decreasing your transaction costs if you bought your own equipment or use something that you've got at home to kind of replace that idea uh, or to kind of replace that exercise. Yeah, because otherwise you've actually got to go somewhere, you know, from where you were before and get to that place. So, so the, the transaction cost that you incur is travel time, mm-hmm. um, whether you just consider it the time itself or if you are factoring in um, burning gas in your car, putting miles on your car, whatever. So having your equipment at home would reduce that cost or remove that cost, that particular cost. Yeah. And the other part of that is that, yes, you would have to spend the money on the exercise equipment in the short term. So that would feel like you're, oh, that's, that's not just a, a cost of time and energy. That's a cost of money too. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is is that if you stick with it and you keep exercising at home, then eventually the cost of getting into your car and going to the gym all those times would be eventually made up for um, 
or I should say that the cost of the exercise equipment would eventually be made up for by all the savings that you have of not having to run to the gym all the time, not have a gym membership, whatever. Right. And then you have to value those things. Is your time and that little bit of gas worth the money that you're spending on that? So we've been talking about decreasing transaction costs. And because that's that's because we want to decrease the amount of moves, basically, that we have to make in order to accomplish things. But we're talking about accomplishing things. Right. There are plenty of things that are not based on accomplishing anything mm-hmm. um, and are inefficient and are undesirable. Before we get into it, there are some things that are not accomplishment-based that are still valuable to us, whether that be leisure time or time away, um, that can be important. Maybe we'll get into how that works into this. But um, all that to say that there are things that we don't want to have on our plate and that we're not working toward, and yet we still end up doing them anyway sometimes because they're distractions um, or otherwise. And the thing is, though, that those actions also involve transaction costs, they still require some amount of time or energy or whatever to get them done. And while we've been talking about decreasing transaction cost for what we'll call positive activities, mm-hmm. the things that we know that we want to get done, we want to do the opposite for the activities that we don't want to be doing. So we want to increase the transaction costs for stuff that probably shouldn't be on our agenda. Right. So if we're going with this whole physical fitness health type of a example, then an example of increasing transaction costs might be if I keep the snacks and the chips locked up in a cabinet that I have to go find the key for, unlock it, pull the shelf out, turn around and lock it back up in there. That is an example of me increasing the transaction cost. Now it's going to take a lot more effort and time for me to get to the snacks. And so Ideally, I will be more intentional. Now, I obviously, I might try to short circuit myself and say, you know what? I'm going to lower these transaction costs. I was going to say, there's a, there's a story. Do you remember Frog and Toad? No, I don't really remember that. The kids' book series? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, I do now. Okay. Um, if you remember Frog and Toad, there's, there's a story that's exactly about this very thing. Because I don't remember who Frog, which one was Frog and which one was Toad in the story. They're basically the same. Mm-hmm. Um, all the amphibious enthusiasts out there will be like, who who actually listen to this podcast? Right, right, right. It I might guess. be a small, uh, yeah, a very audience. small percentage <laughs> of our podcast audience, if not a small percentage of the population in general. Who knows? But um, so let's say it's Frog. Frog has a box of cookies, and he's sharing the box of cookies with Toad, and they keep eating and eating the cookies, and they say, we have to stop. We have to, we have to exercise self-control. And so, um, so let's say it's, let's say it's uh, Frog who closes the box and ties a string around it and says, there, now we won't be able to eat the cookies. But Toad says, but what if we, um, what if we untie the string and open the box again? Oh. And so Frog takes it to the next level and he and he gets a ladder out and he puts it on top of the shelf so that they can't get the cookies. But then Toad says, well, what if we get the ladder back out and get the cookies off the shelf and then untie the string? And so, and this just goes on and on and on until finally Frog just takes the box of cookies, opens it and, and throws them out the door um, <laughs> and the birds eat them all. 
There and, you go. And so um, that, uh, sorry, just as we were preparing for this episode, I couldn't help but think of that. And um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so figuring out those unproductive things, that might be something that you would want to try to do for things that are time sucks on your your time that you need to be reading, writing, being with your family, spending time with friends, doing those kinds of things. I've noticed that while I'm studying, sometimes by by reflex, I turn on all my computer monitors. Mm. And when I turn on all my computer monitors, whether I need them or not, I will invariably be drawn to something on my computer, even if I'm just reading out of a, a book in my hand. Mm. I will think to myself, hmm, I, I should probably check my email for that email I was waiting for, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been trying to just keep either one monitor open um, if I only need to do various little things. Mm. And um, I've been trying to get into the habit. I feel bad that I have to get into the habit of just keeping it all closed, um, shutting it down when I need to, because I'm a pretty distractible person. And mm-hmm. so reducing those distractions is um, pretty critical for me if I, if I want to have a productive day. Yeah. And so we might start getting into some examples that we've thought of, of how to help you be productive. But one example for me is I can in the past have been very heavily involved with Facebook. And at one point I had the app on my phone and whatnot. And so one of the things that I did to lower my transaction cost was I removed the app. And now suddenly I have to type in facebook.com to go to Facebook. And then on top of that, I, I make it where I have to sign in and put my passcode every time that I go in there instead of clicking remember me, because remember me is a way of lowering your transaction cost. Whereas not doing that has upped my transaction costs. And Facebook knows that it lowers your transaction costs. Exactly. For you to only have to log in one time and then you automatically log in. I mean, they want you back on there. So they're finding all the ways that they can to lower your transaction cost. But you might very well be in a place where you'd like to increase those. I also know that there are certain browsers out there that are so simplified and so scaled down for your phone that it doesn't remember any of that stuff. Hmm. Um, there's one that's from Firefox, but they call it Firefox Focus. And every time that it, it, it has like a button permanently in the corner that if you tap, it clears all your history, it clears all your searches, it clears everything. Mm-hmm. Now they do that because it's a privacy thing, mm-hmm. but it could also be con- a convenient way to remove distractions from your, from your, um, your field. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm not saying Facebook is a bad thing, but I am saying that if I'm not careful, I can start looking for memes and funny jokes and all that. And I've wasted three hours of time that I should have been doing some study for my comprehensive exams or whatnot. So it makes me be more intentional about my Facebook time when I have to go through all these steps to get in there. All right. So that's an example that I've got of upping the transaction cost. What about you, Jason? Do you have one? Of upping the transaction cost? Yeah, um, I would say that this one applies less to my study life and more to like my spiritual life. Um, and well, it, it applies to more than that, actually. It applies to how I interact with my family. Um, and so I, I think that I go kind of back and forth in seasons here a little bit, and I need to probably get better about this again because I've kind of slipped back into the old ways. But, um, I think that for me, 
One thing that I find myself to be distracted in a lot involves um, all of the apps on my phone and, um, ironically, a lot of the podcast listening that I do. Mm. Um, it can be helpful, especially as we are doing a podcast and knowing what other people are doing and how other people do the things they do, all that. But um, it can also be a pretty distracting thing when it comes to important areas of my life, such as spirituality and such as how I spend time with family. So um, I recently did a purge of a bunch of podcasts Mm. that I just found myself um, deleting the episodes anyway because I wasn't as interested in listening to them anymore. Um, It's just less to look at and less, um, I don't know, artificial excitement when I see one downloading all of a sudden. I just have to look and see what that one is. So I did a purge of podcasts, and um, and so I just don't have as many um, going coming into my phone, mm-hmm. and that allows me to um, spend more time listening to scripture uh, instead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But the other one, when I was talking about apps, is that... Um, I need to do a similar purge of apps on my phone and not just do a purge of getting rid of the apps, but it's also helpful to just turn off the notifications on the apps uh-huh. because I know that I'm going to be checking my email at some point. Uh-huh. And if I turn off the notifications so that every single time an email comes in, it pops up on my phone, or if I take off the little notification number in uh-huh. the corner, depending on your phone, I don't know if you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like I have that op- I have that option. Yeah. Ironically because of an app that I have on my phone. Mm-hmm. But um turning off the notifications means that you got less um you got less desire probably to be looking at your phone um uh, and you can keep it in your pocket, keep it wherever and not be staring at it all day. So that for me is um uh, a transaction cost that I've increased um as far as my phone distraction habits go. Yeah. And so like, you know, it might seem silly, especially if you're the parent, but maybe putting parental controls on your own phone that limit the amount of time you spend on your phone might be an option of increasing transaction costs for phone use. What have we come to in our society? (laughs) Right. But we're there. Right. Um, And so, so that's one. How about, um, which one next should we talk about? Uh, well, let's. We've talked about some that are specific to seminary life uh, in general that are upping the transaction costs. So let's talk about decreasing transaction costs on certain things. Well, one that I do is that I, um, I, I realized after a long time of writing papers that one, a lot of the settings on my Word documents were not efficiently set or correctly set. Mm. And so I spent the time learning how to um, change things around so that when I automatically open up a new document, it's ready to go and everything is formatted the way that I need to format it. So for example, going into footnote settings and making sure that each new footnote is automatically set to be tabbed in the way that it's supposed to be tabbed in and obviously, if your citation style is different from the one that I use, maybe that's different. But the, the whole point is getting those things taken care of and and locked in for yourself um, early so that you don't have to be redoing them every single time. Again, that meant that I had to spend extra time at the beginning, but now I've, I've again, I've locked it in, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, and so... 
thinking about that too, uh, that's a great example because uh, it's kind of annoying to sit there and have to drag things over and manually mess with the margins every time that you open up Word or whatever word processor you're using. One for me is going back to the phone, a good side of the phone is uh, if you have a virtual assistant, like I have an iPhone, so I've got Siri on there, but you can talk to her and do certain things. Like, for example, if you listen to our uh, um, how to make eBooks into audiobooks episode, you will hear us talk about how to make uh, your phone read aloud to you. And there's a big process of turning that thing on and turning it off unless you use a virtual assistant and you can say something like voiceover on and bam, you've automatically got it into the right segment. So using your virtual assistant might uh, help automate some of the processes in your phone. And there's a new one now um, that they put out on iPhone, an app that uh, I forgot what it's called. I think it's Siri shortcuts or whatnot, where you can, it's kind of like a macro where you can say, you can tell them if I say this certain word, I want you to do this process real quick for me. Um, so that's, I haven't really been able to look into that, but that might be something that you can do to help automate your process a little bit more. That actually leads me to my example of opportunity cost lowering. And mm. if we didn't say it before, um, if we didn't, then the whole point of opportunity costs is you want to lower those. We talked about increasing and decreasing transaction costs. Opportunity costs, you want to lower those across the board, I think. And so my example is um, is just what you were talking about is listening to books instead of instead of reading them. Um, and when we were talking about opportunity costs, generally the idea is, well, if I'm doing one thing, that means that I cannot do another thing, mm-hmm. um, which I might rather be doing. But with this, with listening to books on my phone, um, well, no, actually I can do uh, something uh, instead. I can combine uh, these actions while I'm working. I can actually be listening to books. Sometimes that works out where I actually find the real audiobook mm-hmm. of the book that I need to uh, be be reading, which that's like the jackpot. Right. But oftentimes that's not the case, especially in our um, in our line of study, where a lot of these books are more technical or not as well known, and so there's a lot less likelihood that they'll be turned into audiobooks. Mm-hmm. But you can turn them into audiobooks yourself, and I've done that a lot. So that's a way to decrease opportunity costs because you're taking these tasks and you're combining them so that you can actually do more than one thing at once. The thing that you wish you didn't have to do, maybe, or the thing that you'd want to do, but you know that there's something else that's important that Mm -hmm. you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Right. So some jobs that you might have, you have to only do your job because maybe it's really involved mentally or there are people there and it wouldn't look good for you to be doing something else anyways or whatnot. So you've found a way to have study slash reading time and work go at the same time. Rather than having your work time have the opportunity cost of study time, you found a way to do both at the same time. That's right. Yeah. And it's um it's been super convenient. Except, you know, there is the question of what kind of book do I need to read? Sometimes that can make or break whether that's actually an efficient use of time or not. And I have a job similar to that where I I have some parts of my job where I have to do quite a few things. And then after I'm done with that, I kind of have the rest of the night to just be there if there's a situation and I'm needed. And so I can 
write papers, I can read, I can do all of those things. So again, that's an example of lowering that opportunity cost because I'm actually doing more than one thing at a time. So being able to multitask in that sense, which, you know, that can come back and bite you if you're, if you don't pick a, a good thing or it's not truly multitask suitable. Yeah. Or if, um, if your uh, desire to multitask ends up getting in the way of something you legitimately need to be focusing on. Definitely. So, I mean, we're talking about ways to uh, combine steps and combine tasks. Sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. So I guess as we start to wrap all this up, um, the questions that, that you should probably be considering are, what are your priorities? Uh, what are the priorities that you have as far as what you need to accomplish? Also, what are your priorities as far as what's really important to you in life? Um, and and in light of those, what are the ways in which you can lower the cost, lower what it takes uh, to get done the things that you feel like you need to get done and accomplish um, and make way for the things that are important to you? Also, what are the ways in which you can increase the costs of things that are less valuable to you and things which are less helpful? And lastly, what are the ways in which you can reduce the costs that it takes to to do one thing over and against doing another thing, both of which might be very important to you, but you can only choose one? What are the ways that you can decrease that cost? So this is something that's different for everybody. It's something that uh, we all have our different sets of priorities and tasks and so those are questions that you'll have to answer for yourself. But we just wanted to offer some of the specifics from our lives um, as we've applied them to this general principle. So that's about all for today. We hope this has been helpful to you. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to our Facebook page at Surviving Seminary Podcast. And there you can find uh, links to our email, and you can also shoot us a message right there if you like. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, and we'll see you soon. See you guys. See you guys.